Whoop, whoop, whoop. What up, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode. I just wanted to preface this one first and give you a little backstory before jumping into it. That's with my man Chris, at Christopher W. Chu, everywhere online. Check out his social media. I heard this man on a podcast maybe eight months ago, stalked his shit, just thought that he was the man, and then when he ended up in Chiang Mai, running these men's groups and men's circles, I had to be a part of it. So, it was super, feel very blessed he gave me some time an entire afternoon to chop it up his life story is crazy he also is from upstate new york shout out to the zombie land uh so i hope that you guys enjoy this as much as i did please check him out and stay tuned i got more good stuff coming your way soon you already know what it is always love that uh and today i've actually got a super special episode um i've got a recent friend uh on the podcast and uh his name is chris and chris thank you first of all for coming on and being here um so i want to dive into your your backstory and kind of dig into the you know the hero's journey if you will how we got here today but uh for those that don't know, give a little brief recap of sort of what you do now, where you are now, just so people kind of know cool. that the story ends well. Gotcha. So right now, I'm a men's life coach, and uh, I run plant medicine ayahuasca retreats in Ecuador and Peru, and they're 12-day retreats, and they're just for men only, and it's to create a brotherhood container of where guys can come in and, and just dive deep in themselves, and I just support guys. Uh, during that healing process, that, that self-growth process. And so, yeah, that's my main focus for right now with my career path. And then I'm also leading men's circles. That's kind of how you and I started um, here in Chiang Mai. And, yeah, pretty much my, my career is just focusing on service and impact right now for men. And I met you at, at one of the men's circles, but it didn't start out that way. Um, and I feel like I've encountered you. It's just interesting now knowing a little bit more of your past i feel like i've encountered you in kind of like not necessarily your final form but close to it you know you've evolved a lot and lived kind of numerous lives at this point and so uh for folks that don't know um tell them a little bit let's take it back to uh when you because you started on your first career was an one on wall street right so let's take it back to how when did that start budding was that something that was as a as a young a young kid you're chinese american yeah and so i know sometimes that could be intense parental pressure was that somewhere where you saw you read a book and you said you know what finance is my thing was it number take me back to sure. kind of the the, the beginnings <clears throat> when did when did that sort of start for you what was chris like in as a young man man that's <laughs> a young man because i'm 39 now so i'm trying to think back so yeah it was still young in spirit though you look good <laughs> i had no idea so i'm just throwing out there but <laughs> but the previous the unevolved the forms, unevolved form the, unco- the unconscious part was uh so yeah like i'm i'm the first i have two brothers so i'm the oldest of, of three sons to mm-hmm. chinese immigrant families so yeah very typical of uh work hard just get a good job stability you know get a corporate job hustle and grind you know, my, my parents, who I love very much, they instilled a very, like, disciplined work ethic growing up. 
and they came from very poor backgrounds. Uh-huh. You know, they, my dad immigrated from Hong Kong. My mom's Chinese, but was born in the U.S. But her grandparents immigrated from China also. Wow. So at a very young age, you know, it's it's very typical Asian upbringing, you know, so like go to college and all that. So I went to school upstate New York, Binghamton, we were talking about that. Yeah. And there I, I did uh, <laughs> I did computer science Shout as my upstate. major. Really? Shout out, yeah. And uh, cause I was I was a nerdy tech guy, you know, growing up. My really? dad worked for IBM. So I love technology, like like the internet and stuff. Like I love that stuff. I used to build on computers. And so, yeah. Wow. I, that was one part I, I didn't realize. Oh, snap. I'm a DL nerd. <laughs> Closet wow. nerd. That's crazy. So, and what do mom and dad do? So, dad works for IBM. Yeah. What does mom do? Mom's a realtor. Oh, mom's She's a realtor. A realtor. Okay, yeah. so they were both, I, I assume, had pretty dope careers, kind of were career focused doing their thing. Yeah. And so, you're growing up, mm-hmm. um, youngest of, th- of three bros mm-hmm. is young Chris. Are you kind of the, I know how, how I kind of stereotype oldest siblings, but are you kind of, are you like, are you like the cool older bro, like hassling those young guys when they're in there and you're in high school? Or are you like beating up on them? Do you want like nothing to do with them? What do you? What's like life like growing up with with your fam? Growing up with the fam, yeah. it was it was Dude, tough. Boys, that's a lot. It was tough. Yeah, my bro- my youngest, my middle brother, we're only 22 months apart, almost like Irish twins, as you hear oh, that. Oh wow! And that was tough. Like him and I, we were we were we were button heads a lot. Yes. And so yeah, him and I didn't get along. We've gotten a lot closer now. We feel we did a lot of healing. But growing up, that was a tough relationship. It's hard growing up when you're that close. Yeah. Because you're you're close enough that you you can't really stamp that older brother yeah. shit. You know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> that'd be good. Yeah. Months, where my older brother, he, it's, he's th- he's old enough, three, it's like three to four years, that he always could, he just like, he always just had the stamp. Like, there was no question, you know what I mean? Trying he, to big he, brother, he, you and shit. Exactly, you know, <laughs> I, like, I, I tested him one time and he just like, he just like kneed me in the ball show and I was like, okay, cool. Like, I was like, I get it, you're the older bro. So how do you, how do you navigate that as kind of the oldest? I'm sure too, mm-hmm. I say this to my bro all the time, thank you for coming first because then he could lead the way are are your parents especially tough on you because you're yeah. number one and, I know, and this is my my stereotype too of mm-hmm. the, the son you know in in asian families yeah. Chinese, they're like the son yeah, they're like the there's a lot of pressure yeah on, a lot on of the pressure firstborn. so were they stoked you were you were kind of doing you were nerd now on the on the computer stuff what yeah i mean they were they're like? supportive of that they were that's the thing they were they were definitely supportive of me like um pursuing that career path so that's a thing. So like, I went to college for computer science, and then I kind of realized back then, like, I'm not like like one of those nerdy developer programmers. I yeah. try. I, my brain doesn't. My brain doesn't work the way a typical Asian guy does. Cause like <laughs> everyone's like, oh, you're good with math and, and numbers, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I'm like, yo, I was like the worst Asian in that math class, and like all those upper math classes. My brain was just like it had like an error message when it came to that shit. Damn. So I actually tried to change the majors. Uh, so I actually ended up getting like a financial economics uh, degree. So that's kind of like where mm. the business part started coming into play. And so, yeah, so I ended up graduating with a financial economics degree from Binghamton. Oh, snap. And then afterwards is when I worked for a hospital for a year and a half. But that's when I was in Poughkeepsie still. So my parents are both in Queens and Brooklyn. So growing up as a 25-year-old, you know, you see New York City, you're like, yeah. I got to get down there. All my friends from college are from Long Island, the city. And I'm like, I, need, I want younger man energy. So I was attracted yeah. to the city. So I started applying for like those uh, those job websites, like like Monsters.com, all those headhunting websites. And this is back in like, you know, early Before 2000s. Exactly. Yeah. So so I'm applying and then I get this one job uh, from a recruiter. He's like, yeah, you can either uh, apply for either the United Nations we can apply for Morgan Stanley, which is a big Wall Street bank. And I'm like, at this point, I didn't know myself. So my only question was, which one pays my money? Being the naive, being the naive, being the naive young man that I am. So, so now looking back, like I think the United Nations ones would have been yeah. more in alignment with myself and my value. 
but you, you don't know at the time though. yeah i didn't know so that's a thing so i just applied and um yeah it was just pretty much just to like make money and, and and chase that landed the Morgan Stanley gig so when you're in college just to take it back a little bit mm-hmm. um, so you're from Poughkeepsie mm-hmm. uh, senior year of high school you, you realize you want to stick around upstate New York was it kind of calling you or, no. are you close to fam what kind of inspired that because I'm always curious why people stay in upstate yeah it was I mean the reason why I went to upstate New York college because Bingham, SUNY Binghamton is actually a really uh, top notch school and at the school was it financial aid did they give you because it's in state I didn't get any financial aid but like oh, it seems a lot cheaper right. than such a thing like I'm very lucky that my parents were like we'll pay for your college such yes. a thing like they had to pay for me and my brother so my brother went to albany oh snap and then my youngest brother he's six years younger so like you know like they had that so we didn't want to like overburden them with like a private right you know obviously i think i would have loved to like go to like california <laughs> yeah, or like one of those other cool colleges you know no, but i'm like you, like, you know Berkeley like or something, exactly but, but i can't be that so yeah so that's why i went to upstate new york okay get uh, binghamton Ooh. What was college like for you? Because it's so mm-hmm. hard for me to imagine you is not this version of you. Because <laughs> in my mind, this version of you would be like crushing it. You know what I mean? Just like swagging it out. But, not at all. Uh, but I obviously know you had you had stages of your life. Yeah. What's Chris like in college when you're kind of first starting to, yeah. uh, you know, ex- experiment? You're on your own mm-hmm. for the first time. Are you the wild man? Do you kind of go inward? Mm-hmm. What? What what's your what's do, what do you look like at that point? Yeah, that's a really good question because I was really not self aware and really insecure about myself. Right. I had a lot of self confidence issues. So like I said, you know, I grew up as only Asian American in upstate New York at this time, and so like I was constantly yes. bullied. In your high school, were you the only? Uh, Asian? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I, I think we had like one or two in my high school. That's yeah, a, you're, it's a rare rarity rare. in upstate. So that really like the constant bullying that really weighed on like my self esteem, my self love, like no self acceptance. All, all through high school. All through high school. People giving you shit. Yeah. For all through like Asian elementary thing. school, like growing up, pretty much all my whole different. life. Just different. You know. So when I get to college, I still was caring that like I don't fit you know but the thing is so that's the thing so I'm like here I am like this not socially calibrated guy like I wasn't a weirdo but like I just didn't have the social skills to like talk to anybody yeah so that year I ended up pledging a fraternity and uh that's the move in California if you don't know yeah. where you're going like, <laughs> let me just see what's up with all these guys in the house exactly yeah. so that was a really good experience for me because that's kind of when I I learned about like obviously you go to fraternity parties and you're drinking and so that's kind of when I started experimenting with alcohol because before that I didn't drink I didn't smoke I was a very straight arrow in, in school you know oh, high school wow. so yeah so I, I had these awesome roommates uh, one from Staten Island Pete Miguel Wu-Tang shout out to him like <laughs> like the hip-hop heads and and then my yeah my friends from Long Island so they they were they were really like my first brothers like to actually get a taste of friendship because they really accepted me as like one of them like I didn't feel different I wasn't made to feel different like even though I was Asian like I pledged a Jewish fraternity actually it's funny and like I had all these Jewish friends and like yeah man it was cool I had all these Jewish and Irish friends and like yeah they just treated me like one of the guys and so through that I learned how to like develop like close relationships but also like experiment with the social mm. you know like I said going to going to parties and drinking a lot so yeah so back then that's when the crazy man came out I was very into like Captain Morgan's that was my favorite drink Captain and Coke and it oh, tastes like candy man. so constantly blacking out like especially it's your first taste of yeah. all that stuff and yeah. it's in an environment like that yeah or it's kind of like just like <laughs> unlimited you know what I mean it's like you're playing with fire. Definitely. You know? Definitely. And then, you know, that's when I started smoking. That's when I tried marijuana also. So we're smoking blunts, drinking 40s, 
Typical college, typical college so you got stuff. the Biggie poster. Exactly, you know I mean? dude. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, <the> poster. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so this is my life. Pretty much, that's what it evolved into. But I was still able to keep it together with like the academics and oh, okay. and whatnot. Because uh, a lot of times, I, I feel like folks in college do kind of go off that deep end, where, um, it, it, yeah, it can be, it can be a lot. Yeah. Um. So, this is when you first start to experiment mm-hmm. a little bit with kind of. Uh, I'd say, you know, like you said, the crazy man, or at least redefining, I think, maybe yeah. your, self, your sense of self mm-hmm. in that part. And and also the brotherhood. That, that yeah. with, with me in college, I am I feel like I never had. And, and, and like you said in the men's circle the other day is something that I I'm, I consciously have to work on. Mm-hmm. I've never been just like a dude's dude who's like just swags out with the sports. Like, it's something where, so, you know, it's a ton of decisions. Like, okay, I need to maintain these friendships with men. Mm-hmm. Um when you're get, you're about to graduate at senior year from college, mm-hmm. are you? How much do you feel like you have have changed over that four years? Are you like the man on campus? Are you still kind of techie nerdy? Do you have you have you had a girlfriend? Like where where have you like sworn <laughs> off the fraternity at that point? What, like before that next step, where are you at? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was definitely still not confident. I, I I still didn't have a girlfriend. I was still a virgin at that point. I was still All the way like through college. And yeah, the Parties man. and everything. Yeah. Was there a reason? Yeah. I mean, let's think girls would find me cute, but, like, I had so much, like, mental self-limiting beliefs that I would be like, nah, she's not into me. And then, like, just the confidence, just to actually talk to a girl, I would be like, that's pretty much why I drank all the time because I was so nervous to be around girls and anxious. No way. And so, yeah, it was crazy. Dude, it's crazy how people can change, man. (laughs) Swagged out. Chris, that is so, but that's so cool that through discipline and from practice and figuring yourself out because now you're super chill so senior that is so crazy so this you're still kind of in that initial phase yeah definitely still in that initial phase of still trying to figure shit out who i am wow okay so because there's a lot i want to get to so to fast forward a little bit you're working at hospital for a year Mm -hmm. and then you end up with this morgan stanley job our Mm -hmm. mom and dad like over the moon they're like like Chris made it in fucking <laughs> finance on Wall Street. Like, they didn't arrived. I, I did. I don't know. They didn't get like. I didn't. They didn't do anything like that. But I definitely think they were like happy. You know, like and, and that's the thing. That's why, like you said, if you go back to college, that's why I didn't like like fail out of school because I still had that like if I fail my parents I'm going to be a piece of shit yes. so I still had that very like I want to make my parents proud and in Asian society that's yeah, a big that's thing huge. so so yeah at that point I was like yeah they were definitely happy I think and um, they knew I wanted to move to the city but yeah I think they were, they were definitely happy that uh, I finally like secured a job that they would look at as like successful and that right. they could like tell their exactly their friends about. I think that's often kind of the thing is parents <laughs> parents want you to do something so that they, they yeah. can brag about it. Like, you don't give a shit what this because use like because you can brag about it. So now you're in the city, young uh-huh. Chris, you got you locked down this dope paying job. Uh, we could talk about New York for the next three hours, but what's your taste of it now living uh-huh. there with the with the you know that's that's a, a lot of people I think get caught in that trap because mm-hmm that New York is so expensive that you gotta have one of those jobs that, that yeah. is paying you a lot but because they know that they can work you to the bone yeah so what's that first I don't wanna say real job but that first New York job yeah like you get in there you know people people don't wanna know behind the scenes sure. what's that kinda like it was so so I was working in uh so there's two things to that. One, I was I was living in Hoboken, New Jersey. Have you ever heard of that? Yes. So that's actually where I was living. So during the during my twenties I had a good friend who we grew up in uh high school and he went to Villanova and a lot of people from Villanova 
then lived in Hoboken. So I would go there on the weekends when I slept upstate for like St. Patty's Day parties and oh, all the bar shit. scenes there. And it's a young, it's like, it's a young person, 20, 30 year old, like white collar job, uh, like, like city in Hoboken. So it's like everyone who's at like just graduate college pretty much goes there post-college, works in the city, but then lives there because it's got an amazing nightlife, a lot of bars, a lot of good restaurants. It's right in the Hudson River. It's almost considered like the sixth borough. Cheaper than New York. It's a little bit cheaper than New York. It's still pricey, but a little bit cheaper and still close enough, you know, to where you, can, you don't have to commute that much. Right. So I was actually living there, which was like, which was awesome to be honest, like to be single and in my 20s. like And like, making good money too. Yeah. So that was a fun part. And then, so I was working, Morgan Stanley, we were right we're in Midtown, Times Square, like 46 and, and Broadway. So right in the thick of the madness. That's crazy. So that was uh, the first year and a half working there. And so, yeah, it was it was fun. You know, like I was like, wow, I finally get to like work in the city. I can meet my friends from college who are now there. We meet up for drinks Everybody afterwards. Goes to New York after college. Exactly. Yeah. So it was a dream. It was, in a way, it was a bit of a dream come true to be like, yeah, like, you know, and then like, plus like, just like cool store it's got that cool vibe to it and yeah. like just being the city life so the yeah the first year and a half was was cool um to to move downstate and start that chapter you said first year and a half yeah what happens after that <laughs> so <laughs> that that first year and a half so even though it's fun it was super freaking stressful so there's like 60 70 80 hour weeks that they're putting yeah. at that point yeah not i mean like maybe maybe between like i would say between 50 60 but then you add the commute on top like, of it so then it easily adds all, all on top of that yeah so it's like that's the thing like i'm like 25 26 at this point and uh, we have to wake up super early, and then just to be in the environment. So I'm working on the I'm working on the trading floor, the, the stock equities floor. So, so hypothetically, if if I didn't know what that meant, what 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 do you what are you doing? So this is a. Uh it's not. I'm not working like on the actual stock exchange that you see in like Wall Street downtown. Right. I'm working on a on a trading floor in uh, corporate in Morgan Stanley's headquarters in Times Square. So, so they have their own trading floor where they have sales traders, they have research analysts, they have their own in-house um, uh, unit of 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 people that you know you have, they have investment bankers. So pretty much their own trading floor. I'm sitting. So it's it's a big floor of like. 400 500 people and you got guys you sales traders and they're talking to clients you got people trying to put orders in and it's a loud environment and um and so that's that's actually where i'm working so i'm working in technology so uh, because like i said i'm the geek yeah so like i was going through like my microsoft certifications my cisco certifications to be like certified for these tech position basically mm. and so yeah i was able to work on the trading floor supporting the traders with like the computers the, the phone systems the networking the servers everything Damn, on the trading floor lot. It's a lot. It's high stress too, because those guys need stuff turned around ASAP. Exactly, and so that's that's why it's so stressful. It's like the only reason why they're calling you is because some shit is broken and they need it fixed yesterday. <laughs> yes. And so like it's not like, hey Chris, how you doing? Let's grab a coffee. It's yeah. like someone comes over and is like standing over you, <laughs> grilling you. You feel that energy over your shoulder, and I'm just always like. Here we go again. Here we go yeah. again. What can I do for you, yeah. sir? <laughs> and I'm just like, and they got like fumes coming out. They're like, my computer, my computer. <laughs> and then sometimes it's like stupid shit. Like, well, did you even turn the computer on? Yes. Or like some basic Is it plugged shit. In? Exactly. But of course, some of these people got like their egos are fucking inflated oh, because of the money they make. Manager directors or, or whatever. And so yeah, you're dealing with that on a constant basis, and just getting bombarded constantly, pretty much. And so to take it to kind of where that chapter I know comes to a bit of an abrupt close, mm-hmm. that is it ends up you you kind of work yourself into the ground that you end up was it you burned out or had a panic attack or something? What put you in the hospital? That did, but that happened a bit later. So that's a thing. So a year and a half at Morgan Stanley, I then uh, got 
I had ended up got another job at a different firm, Fox Pickelton. So it's an English research oh. bank. So I was there for a year and a half. They actually let me go, which is actually like a blessing in disguise, because I was so stressed out from that one job. I used to wake up on the weekends and be like, "Oh my God, I'm late for I'm late for work." <laughs> but because I was so freaking high strung, I didn't really I didn't I couldn't turn myself my nervous system off. So yeah. I, that was a sign for me that I was stressed out. So I, I really did not like the people there, and I think I rubbed somebody the wrong way. And they, I, cause I, I, by the end, I was pretty like testy. I'm like, I want to punch somebody, <laughs> yeah. and I think I might have said something to the wrong person. And so yeah, they ended up giving me a severance package, and I was like, I hit the jackpot because then I, I, uh, I collected unemployment and I got a severance package. Wow! But the thing is, I wanted to take like two or three months to recover. But the thing is, I went to the headhunters, and because I had worked for Morgan Stanley, it, it was like on my cover, it was like a badge of, of yeah. So they were like, yo, we need to plug you in. Exactly. Yeah. So a month of having a break of unemployment i want to milk it but i got this other high paying job and they're like yo we need you to start saying i was like man the money's really good so i started with another firm fox pick hilton and i was there for three years and um that is eventually that was a little bit of a better work environment but it was still super stressful and so that eventually is what so three years into that that's why i didn't realize that, that you'd switched halfway through what was it about that new firm that, that drove you to the hospital I think I don't think it was specifically anything that firm was doing, but I think it was just the accumulation of oh. of like from the from Morgan Stanley, yeah. from the whole lifestyle basically of I know of, it's work hard, party hard. Yeah, pretty much. And so that's the thing. At the time, I was partying a lot. I, I, I had gotten a short house down the Jersey Shore. Remember that TV show? Yes. I was one of those monkeys. I was one of those idiots that would do that every summer and go to Belmar, and uh, wow. <clears throat> and so that is when <clears throat> the cocaine habit started to form. Uh huh. And. Uh, and so yeah, that <clears throat> combined with drinking plus not sleeping, hand, no. exactly yeah. not meditating. Like this whole lifestyle you see me now, yeah. I was not aware of, of living a holistic, conscious lifestyle, or dealing with stress in a, in a healthy way. Wow. <clears throat> so that eventually is what um, one day I wake up at my girlfriend's house at the time, and I'm like, I had to take my entrance exam for that for my MBA. So I was going to Baruch College. I was applying for Baruch for my MBA. So that's a thing to add on top of more stress, because my parents were like, you should. My brothers, my brothers. Just graduated from UConn as a doctor. Middle brother, <laughs> really? he's he's now a teacher, a math teacher. So he got his masters. So I got two brothers who are like doctors, masters. So here I am now, like the black sheep. Oh shit! And so like I kind of I kind of succumb to the pressure, but like all right, I'll get my masters, my MBA because my mom is like wants me to wants me to yeah. pretty much. Like I I was already making good money. I'm like, why do I need to go to yeah. school again? Isn't that crazy though? Because yeah. I feel you. So, 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 yeah. One day, I, I take the test, the entrance exam, for four hours, and I'm like, man, I still can't breathe. So I go to the hospital, and uh, in Jersey City, and and I'm like 28 this time. This is during the financial crisis too, by the way. So it's the year 2008 when the stock market's really crashing. So that's also why I'm very stressed out because I'm seeing people getting let go, people yeah. getting cut, the people losing a lot of money, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna lose my, my my job. And so I was just always on the edge. And so yeah, I, I take my entrance exam, and then I go to the hospital, and they're like, you look healthy, Chris, you're 28, you work out, you seem to be in good shape. And then they took my my x-ray of the chest, and like I said, uh, you have two lungs, obviously, and one lung is nice and elongated, it's healthy, and the other lung, on my right side, it's, it's the side of a golf ball, it's shriveled up, he said. What? And that's the lung that's collapsed, because, uh, yeah because of all the stuff we just talked about. Wait, Chris, that's crazy. So I, I, I didn't, so I'm super into health, fitness stuff. Was it a combination of the stress and the, the do you think the drugs had anything to do with it? And, or, or do you think it was just kind of your body reacting 
I didn't even know that was a reaction to yeah, immense stress. Me neither. I, I think I think um, it's a combination of exactly what you said: the stress, the the partying, the cocaine use, the not sleeping, all the emotional stuff that was wrapped up inside that right. I did not finally that I didn't deal with. Yeah. That was like my body being like given up, being like, all right, you need to fix some shit, and this is not gonna happen anymore. It's interesting, you know, your body will you kind of can push it to a limit mm-hmm. and then it'll tell you yeah. it'll make like a definitive statement yeah. it'll kind of give you hints along the way exactly signs it's signs I've, I've really bad mm-hmm. joints from from lifting shitty for too long and your body but if I listen you know as like your body tells you all the time mm-hmm. but you, if you choose not to listen to it and then it's going to be like okay now, now you're going to listen yeah, now, now you're going to listen fuck some shit up <laughs> and now you're going to listen you know but it's strange like if now if you're more aware but I think it sometimes takes those yeah. to be like okay and actually give it an ear that now you can start to pick up on it mm-hmm. a lot sooner your body mm-hmm. will be like okay Chris here's something going on um, so you had the collapse along you're 28 at this point mm-hmm. uh, how I assume that this inspires the sort of crazy 180 then from from the content I was watching before to then you wanted to pursue Muay Thai mm-hmm. after this so a little you would think so you would think I would change my ways but I was still I was still I was still not that oh, wise shit, really so I, I go back so so just so you know I had to go into surgery so they had to stick a chest tube like a straw yeah, in my and thing reinflate the thing and I'm in surgery and I'm in the hospital for like a week and then they're like yeah you can't go to work for a month you have to be in painkillers so here I am at home like I lose 20 pounds of, of, of muscle and and yeah I'm just like this sucks but hey I get to take painkillers and I was like hey at least I don't gotta go to work this is finally the vacation I've been wanting yeah. after four years and so yeah I, I don't really do anything to like change my habits and I go back to old ways and I go back to my partying nine months later it happens again oh, no. and so this time was like the heavy duty I was like I this time it happened twice within the year shit so I guess that's your body's kind of reaction your body's reaction mm-hmm. to it wow so that's oh, man that's the that's the so that was really that's um, a wake-up call that was a serious wake-up call and when that happened that's when i was like all right this was painful i was like i, I have to go straight to the hospital and they had to do like a heavy duty surgery on me basically they had to do a it's called like a pleurodesis operation and basically airline pilots and divers get this operation because they're in pressurized environments they're more susceptible to collapse lungs so they did the same operation that they do for them to like pretty much like 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 so my lung against my chest cavity so it can't physically collapse again so that's the operation they had to do Fuck. and i was out of work for two Two months his time, not one month, but two months. And boss like Chris, what the hell? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're like, they're like, I didn't tell them like, like the cocaine have in the partying, but yeah. they, I was just like getting stressed out, and they were like, you know, you need to take care of yourself, and I'm like, yeah, it's a really good idea, but like, this is Wall Street, and, like, how am I gonna be like, yeah, yeah I they're, need. They're like, Chris, take yourself. Okay, now go do these. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, it's so, it's such a farce, man. Yeah. Because there's all this bullshit exactly. around like healthy and work life balance, but exactly. like, we need X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Done. Yeah. So. That, though, is actually the wake-up call I take. So that, I actually read a book called The Career Renegade, and that's by mm. this guy named Jonathan Fields. I didn't know who he was at the time, but now I know who he is. He's like a, he's like a big coach, speaker. Why I, I know that name? He does a podcast. Um, he's an American guy, like probably in his 40s or 50s. Mm. But I read his book, and his, his story was real quick, was he was a high-strung uh, lawyer for corporations. And he pretty much, lawyers, heart attacks, they go hand-in-hand, hand, just oh, like... Absolutely. And he was like, he kind of had the same thing. He had this health scare. 
and he pretty much pivoted his life to creating like a yoga mats, yoga DVDs, and then opening up I think a yoga school mm. in New York, and that was like his pivoting from from lawyer to like something more holistic in the line. So you got your, your hands on this book mm-hmm. at that time. It's yeah. weird sometimes yeah. it comes in yeah. at the right time. Totally. Man. Like the right joint comes in and, yeah. like, and you're like, yo, <laughs> this is a sign. Exactly. And for me, I was not reading books at that point. I know you just at, at no time, but like somehow I it came into my it came into my hands. So I read that book and I was like, that was that was like the little bit of a switch that was like, all right, I need to start changing. Here's someone that I got yeah. inspired by someone else. And so yeah, unfortunately at that time I'm. I then started working for. Uh, we we, my firm got bought up by another firm called Macquarie Bank, the biggest Australian bank. And so I go for them for another three years. At the same time, I'm now in graduate school for my MBA. Wait. Hold up. <laughs> Hold up. I got my stories. I know. Chris, the fake news, bro. Fake news. Where did this chapter come from? Wait. So. Then after that, you go to to grad school. Yeah. You go at the same time. I didn't realize that. So you get accepted at Baruch. Mm-hmm. You get accepted at Baruch, mm-hmm. and you're also working at the same time. Yeah. So we get we get bought out by another firm, by Macquarie Bank, and so during this during grad school, this transition what? where I'm like they're cutting people, but somehow they keep me, and so yeah, I I'm then transitioned to a new job. This is a, this is the final chapter of my Wall Street career. Oh shit! I didn't realize there was three chapters. Going, <laughs> I didn't know either until talking to you about this. There's, there's a bonus chapter. I, I didn't know I signed up for. It. Wait, okay, so fill me in on this real quick. Uh-huh. So then, at what point? What puts an end to that third? Mm-hmm. That to that, and because in my mind, I yeah. thought it was mainly in the hospital. Yeah. Sign from the universe, get this book. Yeah. Balance on reality. I wish. So it, you almost it get was, three strikes. Yeah. Okay. But at the same time, I think it, it goes to show your perseverance too, you know, that there, that pressure is too real. You yeah. Know, that yeah. you were not going to let fam down. You exactly. Were, you were going to fill this, like, you know, finish this shit exactly. one way or Exactly. So it's a testament to you too and you're being, you know, your perseverance though, like do two collapse lungs or whatever, you're like... The man is determined. I'm gonna do know? this, do or die. You <laughs> yeah, know? like my word is my word is bond. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing. I, I, whenever I do things, I like I like to be committed and disciplined, and 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 yeah, I want to do things the right way. So how does that third? How does that third chapter kind of wrap up? So so, uh, Baruch takes four years part time as I'm going through Wall Street. So at the last year, I'm like, so we know Johnny FD. Yeah. So so uh, I'm. To, to go back to my self insecurities and self-confidence, I then see an article about an Asian dating coach about uh, talking about Tiger Moms and strict families and strict, uh, strict upbringings, like the New York Times. And this is when like the movie Tiger Mom came out, or the book Tiger Mom. Yeah. And so I'm reading this article, and they interview this Asian dating coach, J.T. Tran, and, and, and he pretty much talks about like the the negative beliefs that and the upbringing that Asian guys have to go up, grow up and why it affects their dating life. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, like I only had one girlfriend this time and like I'm still insecure with women. And I'm like, you know what? Let me see who this guy is. So obviously I read that article. I then sign up for the boot camp, uh, a weekend boot camp in New York City where they, they, the, the dating instructors come in, they teach you theory. And then you have to go to the clubs and like talk to girls and like try to get numbers and then try and kiss them. And for me, I'm like, I'd rather jump out that window <laughs> than talk to that hot girl. So, anyways, um, I, I I signed up for the boot camp and yeah, it was kind of like the the first time I've, I've done like a like personal development to be honest, like like to really do like like a coaching or group coaching or thing like that. So what happened is I I signed up for that and then I get on the email list. Johnny FD is he works his company at the time. I didn't know this that. is 2011. 
so oh, before shit. Johnny was like, yeah, so he was, he was still doing like Muay Thai and stuff. So I end up being on his, on his email list because he's working for them out in California. I had not met him yet. So I see his, I see him like taking, he did a New Year's talk and he was like talking about how he came to Thailand to do Muay Thai and be a dating or a, a scuba instructor. And I'm like, man, that's so freaking cool. I wish I could do that. And then like his big message at the end of the video was like, try something new. And this is for me at the end of the New Year's. And I'm like, usually I'm not like into like New Year's resolutions, but yeah. I'm like, you know what? I really need to change my life. So I'm going to give something a shot. So I was like, why don't I just try Muay Thai? So I pull up Google, I look up a gym and I go to Evolution Muay Thai in New York City and in, uh, in Herald Square. And uh, I try Muay Thai for the first time. And I was instantly hooked. And I was like, man, this is so much more fun than going to the gym, lift the weights. It's more badass. Yeah. I felt like it's more confident from doing something like that. And I was just instantly hooked. So every weekend I would take the train from Hoboken to New York City to train, uh, you know, an hour or two at the Muay Thai gym. Huh. And that became my passion. And so this is the last year as I'm working on Wall Street. And so I'm finishing up my MBA and I tell my boss, so like this is 2011, 2012. So at that time I'm like, looking at people's YouTube videos and blogs about Muay Thai, like people traveling to Thailand, going to different gyms, basically doing like travel holidays. And I'm like, man, that shit looks so much fun. I wish I could take a month off and just travel Asia and train. Yeah. So I tell my boss, I'm like, listen, uh, I'm going to finish my MBA. I have all this vacation um, saved, saved up. up from the last four years. I'm not, not taking time off, you know, the last four to eight years. Can I take the accumulated time off and take a month off and travel Asia? And he was like, yeah, go for it. And I was like, no way. So he was a super cool manager. He's from Australia. He was actually, he's big into like bikes, bicycling all over the world. So he actually knew what I wanted to do. So he was cool. He's like, yeah, go for it. So I came for six weeks to Thailand, May 2012. And I trained three weeks in Phuket, uh, two weeks in Chiang Mai up here, and then one week in Bangkok. And that was pretty much... Seal the deal. Seal the deal. And I got to meet, I got to meet like other expats and entrepreneurs who were, who were doing this digital nomad mm -hmm. thing. I'm like... I thought I was badass staying six weeks. They're like, nah, I live here for six months, nine months. I'm like, how do you do that? I need to do that. Yeah. People are doing like AdWords and Amazon stuff. Yeah. And like, so this is 2012 before like the really like mainstream stuff hit with Digital Nomad. Yeah. So I, I made people, and that was a huge inspiration for me to see that there's another way of, of people living. Yeah. And then on top of that, I then, uh, through a friend, I'm like, he was like, yeah, I'm going to meditation class tomorrow. You want to check it out? And I was like, meditation. I think I need that in my life, and I never tried it before. You know, I I I was always like, you know, was it some hippie shit? Yeah. But I went to it, and during that class in Phuket, I felt something. I I meditated for the first time, and I felt some. I had felt something inside of me, and I was just like, you know what? I need to like pursue this and come back and learn more about meditation because I felt something, and I could tell that like I always hear the benefits of meditation. So, at the end of this trip, you know, here I am getting perspectives from other other people and seeing how other people live their life and at the same time i felt so relaxed and not stressed out when i was here in thailand i never felt that 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 sense of like ah, i can let my guard down All right and i was just like this is what it feels to be happy to be present to be to be at ease to be joyful with life and and not have that crazy new york city intense energy where like a dog eat dog world you know it's so hard to articulate that though and and I feel like I sound like a crazy person when I go back home and talk to people. They're like, yo, kid, you tripping. But like, it's so, it's, it's really like this intangible thing. That, but I mean, I guess it is tangible because it is a real feeling, but it's, it's so hard to kind of like capture that and, and to like be able to try to present that to people mm -hmm. in, in something that's digestible because mm -hmm. it does, it does feel very hippy dippy. It does yeah. feel very out there. But the, that, that happiness, when I think back, I'm like, this mm -hmm. is the happiest year of my life, you Same know? Here. And so, Same here. and so you kind of come out, but I think sometimes, 
you got to take that plunge yeah. to taste it. And totally. Because I can tell you about it all day long. Which yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. But then you come out for that six weeks, and you're like, yeah. oh, shit. You're like, this is real. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you're like, you're like, oh, I could probably pull this off if I do something like this or that. Mm-hmm. So, so that kind of switch goes off in your head. Totally. And you come back and are you ready to just like dip as soon as you get back to new york what's kind of the what's kind of the game plan yeah so it was a weird transition i i had that thing that people call reverse culture shock you know i was almost in a zen state of mind and then i'm walking to subways and people are like right up in your face yes. people are yelling and screaming and they're, or they're sleeping and slumped yeah, on the man. train yeah. and i'm just like that's when like the whole con- the whole contrast of zen versus intensity and i was like I don't fit in this shit no more. Yeah. I gotta figure something out. And so that's the thing, like I was like I then read the four hour work week. So that's the thing. Someone was like, that's read the, the four hour week. Dude. So I, I come back and I read the four hour work week. And once I read that book, it was just like, all right, I'm like, I don't wanna be emotional because I realize I'm probably in the honeymoon phase from just coming to this amazing transformational trip. Let me just at least be a little bit logic. So I read that book and then I take two or three months to really like weigh the pros and cons and be like, if I were to quit, how much money do I have saved up? What could I do for a job eventually? What would I actually be doing out here? And I, I really like went deep inside. And at the end of those two or three months, I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna freaking do it. I'm gonna quit my job and move out of here. So, uh, so I came back, you know, May, June, after Thailand and so yeah I, by like November I bought my ticket but the thing is this so like on Wall Street they pay the year and bonuses out at the end of the year so I'm like yo if I leave I'd be a fool to like quit now I'm gonna wait till I get my bonus at the end of the year so I'm like uh, I'm like, got my, my poker face on I booked my tickets but I didn't tell anybody except my family that I'm gonna quit my job New Year's uh, day after New Year's 2012 2013 I walked to my boss's office I'm like hey Vinny uh, yeah I'm putting in my two weeks notice and he's like yeah what are you going to be doing I'm like I'm going to quit and go move to Thailand and do Muay Thai and meditation he's like no nah, really what firm are you going to can you get me a job he didn't realize really? I was like yeah he didn't it's he didn't so believe funny, me it's funny man people yeah he did not believe it's- me because it sounds really crazy. You're yeah. Like, you know, I'm following this passion. Yeah. Be like, no, Chris. Like, <laughs> like come what, back. Yeah, like, what firm? Like, exactly. What firm, how much are they paying? <laughs> exactly. <know? laughs> so that was pretty much uh, the big step. And, and so, yeah, that was uh, that's when I made my decision. So I was like, yeah, I... I, I I sold everything from Hoboken, New Jersey, my apartment. Wow. I, I was renting, but I sold like all like my, yeah. my clothes and furniture. And then, yeah, I gave my two weeks notice. And so, yeah, like six, seven months after the first trip to Thailand, I then moved back to Phuket permanently. What's it like then in this stage um, when you actually start to do the Muay Thai or out here? How are you making money through your Muay Thai fights? Do you have enough saved up that you can kind of live off for a bit? What's kind of the, what's your game plan once you touch down out here? So the, so like I said, the game plan was to just, <clears throat> um, just focus on Muay Thai. That was my passion. I just wanted to fight professionally and have as many fights as I want. The other big goal was to attend a Vipassana retreat, a 10-day meditation retreat. Oh, uh, and then eventually the game plan was once I was kind of healed up in, in a more stable mental emotional place uh, eventually start working online so I was very fortunate that's dope that's a good game plan man <laughs> that was what I that's had that's not bad that's pretty much what I lined up so I was very fortunate to have uh, saved up a lot of money from work and you know like yeah and that goes so far out here so. exactly and so luckily even though like uh, you know not to say like I didn't like I was I was definitely like a shopaholic a bit you know like I, I like to spend money and I think but luckily my parents with that with that immigrant yeah. mentality was like yo don't be seen with the money <laughs> yeah. so thankfully I saved up a lot of money so the first two years I just just worked on myself and wow. and just just went down this path for for that oh that is awesome but at the same time people don't realize that like a little was a long way yeah, here so totally. it's not like you have to like have a crazy amount saved up but no. if you did come over with like 100 g's you could probably live off that forever yeah you know what i mean uh okay so you're 
Just a quick um, a bit about the Muay Thai. What's mm -hmm. your What's your Muay Thai you know professional career like as a fighter? What's as a fighter, so I was 33 when I moved out here. It's a very young man's sport. So yeah. uh, I was training for like a year, pretty much like straight, you know, with the professional fighters. So it was uh, Manap Gym was it's called, and a lot of Brazilian. It's a Brazilian-owned gym and a Thai gym, so a lot of professional fighters are there. Mm -hmm. So uh, the last, the last two or three months of the first year, that's when I kind of like actually like what's properly training so when you're training you're training once in the morning from like 6 a.m to 9 9 a.m for three hours doing like an 8k run pad work boxing and then you're training 4 p.m from 4 to 6 or 4 to 7 so you're doing twice a day six days a week damn so so i'm doing that and then i was like all right i've been here for a year now i want to try and get my first fight dude so, that's a lot <laughs> it's a full-time job that and, really is and so that's why I didn't want to delve into anything else because I knew the time commitment the energy that it takes oh, to wow. if you want to be serious and I train, train like I go for like a 30 minute run and I'm like alright that's my workout for the day <laughs> you know that's crazy man 6 hours of Muay Thai or yeah. training every day. damn so you're probably pretty sharp though then after a year you're probably looking pretty good I'm looking pretty good and, and really fit but <clears throat> that's the thing like I had just I, I would consider myself very still like beginner amateurish yeah. um, so like things like technique I'm a big stickler for so there's so much to learn like you're learning from awesome ties right. but I was like alright the best way to learn is have a fight so they f they lined me up with the fight and you don't know who you're in Thailand you don't know who you're fighting yeah, until you get until there, you get there. Yeah. so very typical so I get there and they're like you're gonna f you're fighting a Thai trainer I'm like what the fuck I'm like a Thai trainer I'm like yo I'm still like a newbie over yeah. here. So I, I, I finally meet him in, in the ring, and he's like, he's probably in his 30s, I would say. And uh, he look, he's not fat or anything, but he's just like, you know, like hefty. hefty. And I'm like, fuck. So we go five rounds, and uh, I lose on decision. And so, yeah, that what, was my first what, fight. What was your take on your first fight? What was it like actually being in there with a the guy and, and having a guy trying to take your head off for real, for real? It was, um, in the beginning, it was weird. Like, I remember looking at pictures of myself. I look very, like, calm and zen. So this is after I did my meditation retreat. Mm. So I think it helped me with, with that. But I would say the second or third round, as, like, between breaks, you're sitting in the corner, and they're, like, giving me a massage, yeah. trying to, like, like, bring me back. And I'm, like, breathing over here. My shins are jacked up. And I'm, like... Oh my, that's when I got brought down to reality. I'm like, what the fuck did I sign up for? I got three more rounds of this shit. <laughs> oh my God, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. And that was kind of like when I got like brought, yeah. So that was, uh, it was it was crazy to have. So yeah, in the beginning I was zen, but then like I said, second, third round is when I got like the, I got brought back to reality. And so yeah, that was, um, it was an intense thing. And, and like my thing was like, I just didn't want to like, uh, disappoint my trainer so I was like I just don't want to give up I just want to like fight to the yeah. end of death and and for me like because you see some fights where like fighters will like fall or like give up and I'm like and then you see the disappointment in the trainer's eyes I'm like I don't want to be that yeah. guy so yeah so for me I was just like I'm just gonna give everything that I got and so yeah uh it was it was a tough fight for me personally like man I was gassed by the end Dude, if you're fighting a train listen people don't understand man I go like around I used to train Muay Thai back in Philly mm -hmm. at um shout out eight limbs eight limbs academy and it just hitting pads or something yeah. like for like a round yeah. and I'm toast. So mm -hmm. people don't, uh, the, plus you're in there with another guy <laughs> just trying to get your adrenaline's going. Yeah. You. So it's like, dude, the fact you made it there, I'm like, that's an accomplishment. You know what I mean? And that you didn't get, by fighting a trader, you know, your shit fucked up. You know what I'm saying? Like to make it there, lose split, that's a win. First, <laughs> you know? So my body was, was totally destroyed. So the plan was, if I'm going to train, it's like a race, like a race car, you know, like you, you build this car and you then want to put as many, many races through it. And for me, I'm like, well, I'm training all this hard. Let me line up as many fights. Unfortunately, I dislocated my shoulder. My shins were banged up. They were swollen. So like I had, I, I didn't train for like 
four to six months afterwards. I couldn't what? physically. My shins were so bad from blocking the kicks, from kicking him. Wow. From that fight? From that fight. So what, are you still just training Muay Thai? Are you just doing, like, body weight? What are you doing in that? I'm just pretty six? much, like, just doing a little bit of body weight. And then, like, I tried training Muay Thai, but, like, I couldn't really, like, go 4%. So, yeah. yeah it's, people don't realize how much a fight can take out of you. Yeah. If it's, if it's just, like, you're going, like, you're going to war yeah. type shit. So that, Damn, so man. That, that was a tough fight physically for me. Also, probably then at that point, you realize that you're like, this isn't sustainable. Right? Exactly. You go, I'm, I'm 33, 34. Yeah. I'm like, I, in this thing, I was like, I'm not going to try and be like a professional UFC MMA fight. Like, yeah. I was doing this for, 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 for passion development, and development. Yeah. But like, I'm like, I'm a realistic. I'm like, I'm 34. Like, this, these guys are starting at six years old as high as you know. Dude, yeah. And they're retiring the, by 22. The trainer in my gym, he's 20. And he's yeah. Kicking. Yeah, it's a, it's a different, it's a different ball game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I also listening to Johnny's podcast with you. I know you did kind of go into drop shipping yeah. for a little bit. Yep. So, but but before we get into this kind of final chapter, tell me just the brief your brief mm-hmm. um, sort of r- relationship and experience with the drop shipping. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. So like after a year and a half, two years of pretty much just like chilling out, reading a lot of personal development, feeling healed, going to the vipassana, going to plant medicine. I was like, all right. Let me now dive into the business world because I feel like I'm, I'm more centered and clear-headed. And so obviously, I'm following Johnny's journey. So he was talking about dropshipping. Yeah. And so that's how I heard about it. And I trusted him and, and whatnot. So right. I bought the Anton Method. And uh, I took the course, online course, for a month and a half down in Phuket. And at the same time, he was launching his first, Anton was doing his first dropship lifestyle retreat up in Chiang Mai, 2014. So... Johnny's always been talking about exactly so I'm like you know what this is the right chapter for me to transition from like the Muay Thai scene in Phuket to the more e-commerce drop shipping digital nomad lifestyle Phuket uh, in Chiang Mai so I packed up moved here and uh, so yeah I had my first store my drop shipping store and which is successful and it's funny thing like when I got here the first day uh, I made my first two sales and then Johnny Johnny I told Johnny he's like you got to call my podcast. And so to like make things even better, he put me on his podcast that day. So the fact that I came up here to check mine within the first couple of days that I get two sales and I get to be on Johnny's podcast, like it's time from the universe that like, yo, you finally made the right decision yes. and this is a big sign. And so yeah, for the first like year and a half, I was doing drop shipping with my wow. store. And what was your first impression of Chiang Mai? Yo, so that the first impression of Chiang Mai, so listen, is when I actually came for that first trip uh, from, from oh, Muay Thai. That's right, that's and so right. the thing, I was like, what is this place? This place is whack. I want the beaches. This place is so boring. I mean, like Chiang Mai, and I did not like it. Wow. If you were to tell me, like, yo, this is going to be your home for two to four years, I would have been like, no, it's not. Phuket is going to be. Damn. And so, yeah, I did not like that's, Chiang Mai. I forgot. That's right. You'd already had your first impression yeah. of it. Yeah, and so I didn't like Chiang Mai at all. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay, folks, don't listen to that part. Yeah, um, definitely don't listen. <laughs> don't take my – Don't take my. I had the wrong impression of Chiang Mai. No, dude, that's so interesting, though, because some people do. They it, It's a different It's a different type of Thailand than the one you see yeah. in all the promotional videos. Yeah. Blah, 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 with the beaches. The beaches. And, yeah, totally. It, it, but that's what I kind of like about it, mm-hmm. you know, is it's different. Mm-hmm. Um. So, okay, so it's your, your second round of Chiang Mai, uh-huh. and things kind of start to work out. At what point – do now kind of transitioning into this because um, I do want to talk to you a lot about these these retreats and and when do you go from kind of drop shipping mm-hmm. Muay Thai Chris into like personal development mm-hmm. Chris what mm. is there is there an event is there do you sell the store and, and run, dry it off in the sunset what kind mm-hmm. of inspired that change so I, th- I would say like besides Muay Thai meditation the big goal was really to like heal myself and, and dive into personal development you know oh, come to Thailand right. and and so I think during this whole time. I'm always reading books. I'm watching YouTube videos about, you know, like reading The Power Now by Eckhart Tolle and just reading all the things like Elliot Hulse. Just learning. Just learning about life and myself. This is a real master's degree. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like really trying to learn from life and, yeah. and other other masters. And so that's a thing. So 
I'm doing the drop shipping. I then also get into FBA Amazon with some business partners. Mm -hmm. So things are going successful. And then it starts to be like, at that time, I'm also delving into uh, YouTube videos and creating my Udemy course. So mm -hmm. that's kind of when the creative side comes out in me. So I, that, you know, you see my camera and yeah. stuff. So I, I get into f to videography. And so <clears throat> as I'm doing the drop shipping, I'm also kind of like, uh, documenting my journey on YouTube. So I'm talking about personal development, like the things that I'm learning, why I'm going to Chiang Mai, why I'm going to retreats. And I'm getting feedback from people and they're like, oh, Chris, this is actually cool stuff you're putting out there. I'm sharing on Facebook. Uh, you know, I'm trying to like just give value, like like tips yeah. I've learned from my healing journey to other people. So <clears throat> about a year and a half of living in Chiang Mai, I, uh, a mutual friend reaches out to me. And this is the thing too, I'm starting to get kind of bored with this stuff. I'm like, it's successful, it's making money, but it's starting to feel like a job again. I'm yeah. not getting that fulfillment, I'm not getting that passion that, I, that I'm looking for. Right. So, um, so my, my, this mutual friend who's a coach, he, he's like, hey, let's have a call. I think you might be a good program for my coaching program. And I'm like, all right, let's jump on a call. And he's like, what are you doing with your life? I'm like, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing plant medicine, I'm, I'm doing drop shipping, but I'm not, ha not that fulfilled. He's like, what else are you doing? He's like, I'm doing the YouTube video. I like personal development. I like helping people. He's like, you sound like you want to be a coach. And I was like, oh, my God, maybe that's where I should go. And and so, yeah, that's kind of when I kind of transitioned from the drop shipping into personal development coaching. You said you'd also at this point already been experimenting with the plant medicine. Mm-hmm. When did that kind of creep into the picture? So, so that year I'm still in Phuket my parents my family came to visit me and uh, in, in Thailand Where? my parents and my youngest brother so we did one week in Phuket and one week in Chiang Mai so it's mm. November 2013 so like I said my big goal was to do a 10 day Vipassana retreat uh, at a temple so we were up here in Chiang Mai and I remember a friend was like yo you gotta go check out Wat Rompong off of uh, near Hong Dong and near off, this, off of Canal Road and I, I was like alright my parents left and I'm like you know what if I'm already up here in Chiang Mai I might as well just do this 10 day retreat because I gotta like I gotta okay. suck it up and do yeah. it you know so they leave and I go to the temple and I sign up and uh, so I go through that 10 day process of living with the monks meditating at 4am you know pretty much meditating all day until all night and I did that and that was a big part of my personal development journey because I was able to release a lot of um if you could say a lot of, I had a lot of anger and resentment towards my father growing yeah. up. My our relationship was very disconnected. So through that process, I then came out and I felt this other another level of like peacefulness and tranquility. Like someone reset my hard drive in my head, and I'd never experienced that. And I felt this lightness in my heart where like I let all that heavy emotional baggage yeah. go. And so that was a big part of that journey. And then so I get out of that retreat, I go back to Phuket, and a friend's like, "Yo, check out the Joe Rogan podcast." And, and I'm like, who's this Joe Bro? Game who? changer. And he has Graham Hancock and Aubrey Marcus, and they talk about ayahuasca. And I just hear about this. I never knew what ayahuasca was before that. I didn't know what plant medicine was. Like, I tried really? mushrooms in college, but not in an intentional way. Yeah. And so I hear about ayahuasca and all the benefits, and, and I'm like, man, this is where I'm on my journey. I want to sit with these medicines. And I just dive into that whole world. It's 2014. I just research everything with blogs, YouTube videos. And uh, at that point, I'm like, I need to go to South America and Peru and, and, and experience this where it's, it's native. Yeah. So that year, my brother's actually getting married in New York. So I, at this point, I'm here for 18 months in Thailand. I'm like, I ain't never go back to New York. F that place. Mm -hmm. But my brother's getting married. So I'm like, ah, I got to go back. So yeah. I'm like, if I'm going to go all the way back to New York. It's transition time. I transition time and let's check out Peru and make a trip. So I go back and I then go to Peru for six weeks, and that's the first time I sit with ayahuasca in the Amazon jungle. Okay, so because now I'd love to kind of now start talking about, you know, what you're doing 
and and the men's circles and sort of this how you've been able to tra make that transition into something that's, I can tell you're so much more passionate about you, you just you you you've got this light you know what I mean and and this this energy that I think is very tangible and you can tell people fake it and mm -hmm. so it's a very authentic um, vibe and that's something I really appreciate about you and so uh, that first experience I assume is pretty life-changing yeah. down in Peru, and yeah. you're like, yo. <laughs> <laughs> yo. So, give me in a nutshell what, uh, uh -huh. what, what that's like. So yeah, so it's a 12-day retreat. It's in the Amazon jungle. It's, in a, it's outside of Quitos, and uh, pretty much, you know, you go, you take a bus ride to the river, and then the river, it's a 45-minute boat ride, and there's another 45-minute hike in the jungle. So you're in the middle of nowhere. You're in the Amazon jungle. And you're with the Shipibo tribe, which are the native indigenous shaman tribe that mm. they, and that's where they grow ayahuasca and make it and brew it. So it's a 12 day retreat and you have seven ceremonies of ayahuasca in that 12 days. And it was, and like I said, you're in a, it's a retreat setting. So for people that don't know what retreat is like, you got 20, 30 people of, of foreigners coming in, expats. And for 12 days you become family and you drink these plant medicine ceremonies and you're guided by the shamans so for me i went like i said to really continue this healing journey this journey of personal development so i i like i said i had carrying because of the bullying that i had from childhood and plus the stuff at home my family i've been carrying a lot of a like lot of a lot of grief and sorrow and yeah. that's pretty much what they said they're like you want to let the grief and sorrow out of your out of your heart and i was like yeah that <laughs> that's what i need to do <laughs> that sums up perfectly they yeah. said that that's crazy and so yeah so i go through that uh the 12 days and and the most powerful experience was like i said there's three male shamans and three female shamans and when you take ayahuasca it's completely dark at night and you're in a maloka ceremonial hut and then the shamans would come around and sing ikados which are the songs the healing songs to you and the most powerful thing was when one of these older women they're like almost like grandmothers like very old and very like kind gentle feminine you know and like i remember yeah pretty much yo and they're short like they are that's exactly <laughs> the female mini yodas they're so <laughs> wise dope. and so i just remember like and that one ceremony she was sitting right in front of me i'm on the medicine and just the way she was singing to me was like so soothing to my heart and it felt like, it felt like if you could say, you know, like when you see a bird that's trapped in a cage, that's kind of like how my heart was. It was very like blocked off, had a lot of walls. I didn't know how to connect to myself. Yeah. And like when she sang to my heart, she sang directly to my heart and it felt like she was teaching me self-love, something that I had never had for myself. I'd never shown by anybody. And that was a big message that love yourself, Chris, it's okay, you know? And, and that was the biggest healing message that I got from those 12 days. Wow. So that was that was pretty transformational for me to to have that that ceremony where you know I got to see myself in a different light. Yeah. I got to reconnect with myself and, and have a different relationship with myself. At this point, do your parents think you're absolutely crazy for going down here at this point? But at this, you're, you're comf you have enough confidence to say you know I'm on my own journey. Yeah. And to <clears> say they and they, they they asked me that too. They were like you know you just did a, a meditation retreat. Why you gotta go? down to Peru and do this other retreat and they don't know what ayahuasca was so right. we actually Skyped and, and it was funny when I when they actually asked that I actually started tearing up like crying because I'm like it, it touched it, it was like a, it was like a nerve like it was like yeah why am I and and I couldn't fully explain to them but what I did was I, a week later I then wrote them like a handwritten letter right. really detailing the specific stuff from childhood and why I'm going there and then they understood you know yeah. they were still supportive up until that but then they really got it and they, they were just like we just we just want you to be happy and we love you and we support you and, and they're cool with it. I think that that goes a long way. If you can, if you can, it's not like you're running away. Yeah. Actually, you know, it's more like you're running to. I'm trying to face these yeah, things. Yeah, you're trying to face something. Face these demons. Exactly. And I think that's, it's a, 
key. It's the key way to think about it. Is I'm actually I'm I, I'm working through this yeah. stuff. You know what I mean? I'm not just trying to escape it. Because that's the thing with the perpetual traveler yeah. circles. You do know that the, it can be the sort totally. of yeah forever escape. Yeah, the distraction. Thing. Exactly. That um. Yeah, and so it is a fine line sometimes mm-hmm. of saying, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm using. The, I I see traveling is also a similar thing. It's yeah, a, it's a tool. It's a to tool know, to have experiences, but to, then to to grow from them, to mm-hmm. use those things. But I think this is a, on a, an entirely next level. So you have that transformative experience, and mm-hmm. then is it that that point you say, "Yo, I want to lead this shit"? <laughs> or are, yeah. are you like, "Yo, I want to start doing this"? More? How does that? How does that? Yeah come about to, to get you from A to B to where you are now so um so at that trip I then also go to the Sacred Valley which is uh, where Machu Picchu is oh, and right. I go with people from the retreat and uh, they're like that's cool you guys are getting close yeah exactly right. and I was like this is amazing and and so they're like at the retreat they're like you know no no alcohol no sex like you're gonna be integrating so you want to like be clean and like no marijuana no everything yeah. so I'm like how about other plant medicines I asked that and they're like oh well, you should definitely you should definitely work with the plant medicines. And I was like, oh really? Okay, you say so. I'm I'm all for trying new things and let's experiment. So 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 we get to the Sacred Valley, and one of the guys like, hey, we're gonna set up a San Pedro ceremony, which is the cactus medicine, similar to peyote. So uh, so San Pedro is different from ayahuasca. Ayahuasca grows in the jungle. The main uh, ingredient is dimethyltryptamine (DMT). San Pedro is called grandfather medicine. It's a more gentle uh, experience. At the main ingredient psychoactive compound is mescaline oh, and cool. so it's more lucid it, it, it's more i would say if you had to compare like pleasurable like yeah it's 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 more gentle that's what i say so anyways i then have that experience uh in the sacred valley and i have three san pedro ceremonies and that for me was like pretty transformational because it really taught me to uh, be present in life i was able to really connect with nature i was able to realize like listen life can be joyful it can be happy like i don't need to be stressed out and uh and just take it easy like like be easy on yourself and so that was pretty <clears throat> powerful for me to to see life also in a different perspective of of from working with san pedro so i come back to thailand and uh i'm just like wow i just had these six weeks of like transformational experiences and so like i said i then moved to chiang mai so that year it's like you know like you said, I'm still doing the drop shipping, and then what oh, happened? I was I was curious. That's how you're kind of still making money at this point. Is oh, so no, that was so that was that was right before I got in drop shipping. So oh. so so yeah, I come back to Phuket for a month and a half, do the dropship lifestyle, and then move to Chiang Mai. Gotcha, gotcha. So yeah, okay. so that's like the first chapter. So I get up here, and then at the end of this year, I'm like, I gotta go back to my family again. My brothers are having a baby, right. so they get married. Now he's having a baby. So geez, now I gotta come back <laughs> and do like, my yearly visit. Me back. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm like, <clears throat> I'm gonna go to South America again. Oh, so dope. this time I'm like, let me go to Ecuador instead to a different retreat center. So I sign up for another 12 day retreat, go through that, and that is just another like another 12 days of like transformation ceremony. So we do ayahuasca in mm. San Pedro. I then meet the shaman that I'm currently working with. Santiago, oh, cool. he's at this retreat center. He's a San Pedro shaman. He, I have one of the most transformational experiences. Also, I would say he's a San Pedro ceremony uh, shaman, and I would say the way that I would describe it is the next morning I woke up, I was crying, and I was like, I, I felt like whatever blockages, like like when you look at a, a car engine and you get like an oil change, like you see like cobwebs. Yeah. I felt like my heart. He like took all the cobwebs out and he polished it. And so like I was super sensitive. I'm already a pretty sensitive guy, but like he, I was just like super sensitive to emotions, to other people. I could feel things, 100. and I just felt something shift majorly inside. 
And that was like, I felt so connected to my heart at this point. Mm. This is what this is what inspired me to get that heart on oh, my tattoo. Oh, dope, dude. So, so I, I'm just like, wow, this is just even more growth. So I come back to Chiang Mai, and then that's kind of when I transitioned into the coaching. Gotcha. At that you point. sell your dropshipping store, or you just let it? Let <coughs> I let it still ride? let it let it ride, you, you know. I still have it, but I don't really put much yeah, time yeah. into it. So that's then when I come to the coaching, and uh, and yeah, that's that's I do coaching for the first year, and at that time. Uh, so I don't mean to yeah. interrupt. Um, a lot of my friends and myself too, who are interested in coaching, how do you get that mm -hmm. off the ground? Mm -hmm. For any advice to to people looking to start coaching yeah, yeah. businesses that are passionate about? I would say, man, like there's so many ways. There's so many different ways you could approach coaching. That's a thing. So it's like, how did you come at it? I I hired a coach to help me kind of figure it out. But the thing is, like at the end of the day, it's about you helping other people. Yeah. So find out what have what have you learned that you can then teach to other people and help them that's the first step right there it could be guys for me it's, it, it could be guys that are five years younger than you six years younger than you that are going through the same issues yeah. that you're going through and that's that's typically how i coach my guys who was who was the chris 26 year old right that's going through the same issues that's who i coach so for anyone starting out i would say start out that way and and that's the thing it's just like the best way is just getting experience yeah and, and just figuring out because you know there's no blueprint per se for coaching there's so many different ways to coach so many different styles of coaching and it's just figuring out what works for you and, and, and the thing is we all have different heroes journeys so one person's coaching style is gonna be different from someone else's because it's based on their own personal experience that's where you get the wisdom yeah. and the techniques so that's kind of how I started coaching. Um, and you're love, you're loving it. Yeah, I love it. Oh, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. So, so that's the first thing you get. You just get a taste of coaching. You say, "Yeah, this is what I've been missing. This yeah. is what I was shooting for." Exactly. And and you realize that it's the young, it's kind of the younger version of you that you want to work with. Yeah. Okay. People who were like, were like, "Oh, I, I'm not happy. I yes. want to try something. I want to get up to corporate career, or like I'm going through like heavy emotional depression or anxiety or stress." And and so yeah, so the first year I'm 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 starting out like, like I'm not like crushing like I'm I'm barely getting clients, but I then go back to uh, South America for a third time, and this time I went to go bring my brother mm. to an ayahuasca retreat. The middle or the youngest? Uh, the middle one. Oh, the cool. Middle so one. you guys have kind of repaired your relationship with that. Exactly, point. exactly. Gotcha, gotcha. And so the thing, the first retreat really helped me change the relationship I had with my brother. Dope. You know, so I wrote him a letter and just kind of oh, explained cool. things. So it really opened up my heart to to heal these and things. And he's the doctor. He's the math teacher. Oh, the math teacher. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, so yeah, I'm like, you know what, Jeff? Like, if you want, come. I'll bring you to Ecuador next year. So I come back that year. So this is my third retreat at this point. Santiago, I go see him, and I then form this relationship deeper with Santiago, the San Pedro Shaman, mm -hmm. the one that I'm running with retreats with now. So, uh, the more I dive into Pilate Medicine, I'm just like. I gotta figure out how I can work this to my coaching because it's done so much for me. Yeah. I see this stuff, it works for everyone else. How can I like eventually bring this to my own coaching program? So I come back to Thailand again and uh, I then read the book, King, Warrior, Magician, Lover, which I mentioned. Did you read that book yet? I haven't, but I, I loved it. Uh, the, in the men's circle yeah, the other day. Yeah, I mentioned Chris, it. Chris, it was kind of our adventure for that night was, the, it's. It, it was. I'm really into that type of stuff anyways, like these different archetypes and, and and you know finding balance and whatever but it sounds i loved the way that you would you would kind of geared your coaching with that as kind of the the lens mm -hmm. to view it because i love that sort of stuff so that i'll tie that into the coaching program how i got into it so i read that book in bali my good friend recommended it so i read that book and i was like holy shit this is like a blueprint of like what i've been going through for the last four years of trying to heal myself and trying to figure out what my deficit of what a man is so i read that book and i'm like all right i also heard about the hero's journey at that point yeah and and we're on the hero's journey and if you look at for the viewers who don't know the hero's journey is the archetype blueprint that joseph campbell wrote a book about 
and you see this pattern in Star Wars and Gladiator. Everything. Everything. Buddha, Jesus Christ. And that's the thing. You can apply this to our own personal lives. You can see when we like went through an obstacle and then you know rebuilt ourselves and then transformed ourselves. Everyone's on the similar journey. So I was like, you know what? I want to create a retreat where I can guide guys to their own hero's journey with the combination of plant medicine, sacred ceremony, brotherhood, coaching, personal development. Mm. And so that was when the seed was planted that's of, dope. of the Hero's Journey retreats. I think it's a cool, and now, you know, I'd love to talk to you more about that in the sense of, I think it's a really unique angle to to come at these retreats with. Because, um, it, first of all, it's, it's a very, I think, relatable uh, aspect thing about, you know, everybody loves that, that hero story, but it, it's hard to sometimes, when you're after the men's the night, think about where you are in mm-hmm. that sometimes. And it's sometimes hard to see that when you're on it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, whether, it, I know it's these different stages, but I also uh, think that it's cool that you keep, you keep coming back to Thailand, but that you're doing it. It's not just about, like, the plant medicine isn't just about it's not just the aspect that I like that you're doing it right, that you like, te- you know, because then there, you end up with like a lot of white dudes trying to like lead the same thing. Like some, and you know what I mean? I'm not trying to have like some dude in Berkeley lead me through this mm-hmm. r- ritual, you know what yeah. I mean? Ceremony. So I think it's cool that you teamed up with it. It's legit. Yeah, you know the indigenous shaman. Mean? Digi- exactly. Shamans. It's like a real, I don't want, you know, real in quotes, but you, yeah. you, with an indigenous shaman. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and for folks that listening also that are interested in this, how, talk to us a little bit about the retreat and mm-hmm. what what does it entail how 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 can they get involved with something mm-hmm. like this so typically all the treats i've been to are 12 days um and so that's how i structure the retreat 12 days it sounds like a lot but in those 12 Probably days we we yeah we jam a lot in there and it goes fast and so typically we're having a plant medicine ceremony almost every other day so like i said the main medicine we use are ayahuasca and san pedro and <clears throat> so basically we we open it up with um like an opening blessing ritual where the shamans, because this, when you work with these, when you come into this world, it's a completely different reality than the modern world. You know, you have things like spirits and the relationship with mother nature are mm. huge, especially with indigenous cultures. There's a lot of respect and reverence for these things. Yeah. And it's not just like, I don't even, that's why I don't like to use the word drugs. I use the word plant medicines. Right. Because in their world, this is their pharmacy. This is their medical system. It's not like a Pfizer or all the pharmaceutical oh, bullshit we right. got out here. So this is why I approach it in a very respectful way. So, so these indigenous shamans, you know, you think of like Native Americans in North America. They have their connection with, with spirit and nature. And that's how the South American shamans approach plant medicine and ceremonies as well. So in these ceremonies, we, we, we go through proper rituals and initiations to open up the retreat in a proper way where we ask for guidance and blessings so so we're protected basically and so yeah for the first day we have that and we go on a hike so we incorporate hikes and waterfalls in nature oh cool and uh and that we use plant medicine as well so usually we'll have a like a san pedro ceremony first and then a day of rest and then an ayahuasca ceremony and then we also incorporate sweat lodge ceremonies have you done this? Have I have been? A, but I, there's another like men's circle thing that I've yeah. heard that I like and so dope, you know? So we incorporate sweat lodges also and um and that comes from Native American traditions also, like I said, and and, and our ancestors where they sit around a fire and, and detox and and have these sacred rituals and so yeah we incorporate that and then we have more plant medicine ceremonies so basically days in between the ceremonies that's when I, I, I open up to have like a men's sharing circle in between to help guys really process mm-hmm. these these powerful experiences and kind of help and guide them so that way they can they can see the insights and lessons that they're they're seeking 
And uh, so we do that. Then we'd also do like workshops, like breathwork workshops, oh, cool. yoga, meditation. I'm doing guided meditations for the guys. Um, I'm teaching things like emotional intelligence, like the things that I've been doing in the men's circle, like partner exercises. Yeah. How to actually delve into, uh, how to actually create bonds with other guys and, and also like form more intimate relationship with your lovers and your partners, your family and your friends. How to really open up because we're not, we're not taught how to like express ourselves, yeah. especially guys. We're taught guys don't have feelings and emotions. <laughs> yeah. And so, so we, we're stuck in the logic side. So I really give guys a, a workshop and techniques on how to actually open up and communicate themselves and and mm. and that way they can have the relationships that we all need on, on a human level and I think that sounds awesome as someone though who is relatively naive to this space how when you when it is and every other day like that is this something um, who would this be geared towards could you jump into this if you've never done it before mm. and how 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 much how can you handle it as is it only you know talk to me about sort of who who is this eligible for yeah, who, would yeah. Be, who would this be good for so last year we had 10 guys go through three retreats and their ages were from like 23 up until like 33 oh cool and uh it was an international mix you know u.s europe everywhere and then um and the guys the guys all come for similar reasons i would say most most guys have some kind of like healing work they want to do whether it's like some kind of like depression or anxiety they're going through like the way i was from childhood yeah. or guys are trying to seek more clarity in their life like they want to know which career path they should go or like they're not happy in their current job they want to like transition out and they kind of want look for some guidance um other guys they're more about exploring the more like i had some like other i had have digital nomads and some guys were like seo guys or like very like logic side yeah and they're there to kind of more like explore um their conscious and and reality and kind of have a bigger picture just like how nootropics is a big thing in silicon valley and right. the entrepreneur scene same thing with psychedelics and plant medicine that's becoming a very big thing like microdosing. so you have guys who then like want to explore that side like from not i guess you could say more not from the scientific level but just from like more like the rational side yeah and and just see life from a different perspective that way they can then use that perspective on their business exactly Exactly. I think it, just to open up that third eye. Exactly. Almost. So how do you um, go about handling this so that I remember I had a girlfriend. Uh, I think it was uh, maybe a year or two after college. And I remember she'd done an ayahuasca retreat, but I don't think she had a super positive experience. Uh -huh. How do you create an environment yeah. that you know that it's going to be as safe, you know, as, as eye opening as possible? Mm -hmm. So you can have the benefits, but still mm -hmm. make sure people are, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, kept under under good care. So this is what really sets my retreats apart from other ones. I I like to combine a lot of individual and group coaching before the retreat. So you can think of it almost like a marathon. When okay. you're training for a marathon, you're not just training a week before then going for the sprint. <laughs> like you're training months in advance. So same thing with work with plant medicine. This is like a very big decision you're taking, and and it's going to be physically and mentally taxing on you. So I like to do a lot of preparation work before the guys so we do skype based coaching where mm -hmm. i really dive into like almost like a therapy session i really delve into like what are your intentions what are the big problems that you want to come and oh, get fixed cool. so we work on that and then based on that i'll give them homework assignments or books to read to prepare them before the retreat that way when they come to retreat they're already mentally prepared of like listen we're going to fix problem a b and c and this is what we're going to do as opposed to being like day one like i just got here and i think i want to work on this but i'm not sure right. i'm just going to dive in and see where it exactly. goes and then you end up like crying alone exactly <laughs> exactly so it's like we do all this prep work and then during the retreat like i said i'm really there to support you guys so that's why i have the men's circles and the, the sharing and the workshops so like i said 
that's why I'm big on breath work and meditation because that can really help ground you when you're in a ceremony. If you're kind of like having a, a tough ceremony, if you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm getting scared. Yeah. When you're able to focus yourself and bring you back, that's a really good thing. And then besides that, I would say the fact that I do have master shamans there. Yeah. That's the biggest thing because it's just like you want to choose an airline pilot. Like if, if you're going to drink medicine for the first time, it could be very tough, challenging, scary situation. And so it's like you want someone there almost like a lifeguard. You want the OG. You want the OG. Yeah. And so Santiago is 62. He's been doing this for 20, 30 years, you know. Wow. And a lot of these shamans, they, they like the like the young Yodas I worked with in, in Peru, <laughs> yeah. not young, but like they started at like six, seven years old or, or maybe a little bit older, but like they're learning from like their grand, it's a lineage. So they're yeah. learning from like their family, their, their grandfathers, and they're drinking maybe a little bit of ayahuasca at a young age. So by the time they're 50, 60, they're proper masters. So the shamans I work with, that's why I trust, that's why they're leading them. I'm not going to try and run that shit. Like, I'm, I'm going to let the masters do work their work. That's dope. And that's a big thing. So I've seen situations where, like, people, it can be tough. But because the shamans know what to do, they know how to handle it. They've been doing this for years. They're able to kind of calm things down, get the energy down, and, cool. and ground people. So, Chris, I'm going to get you out of here. Uh, you're busy, man. It's all good. No, it's all good. Do. Um, do not rush yourself. Is, so talk to me sort of now. We're... we're Final form, at least close to it. I know you know everyone's constantly growing and developing, though. But what are, what's kind of the the, the next step? Where are you taking this thing? Mm-hmm. You know, when you when you now you've been able, to, you see that it works. Yeah. You start to, um, you know, that you found that purpose. How? What's kind of your your vision mm-hmm. with this and, and with yourself? Is it something that you want to, you know, continue and and take until you can run it yourself? Mm-hmm. What's sort of the the vision for this thing? Yeah, it's uh. I've been trying to think of uh, it's there's so much I want to do, but I would say like the five to ten year vision yeah. I think is really scaling this into a movement into a, mm. a big brand if you want to say it's or the organization because right because is the thing men's work this is what it's called it's called men's work men's circles uh, this has been around 60, 60 to 70 groups like organizations like the Mankind Project I'm starting to see on Instagram there's other groups starting to form the same thing where they're doing like like in California like there's a big like the West Coast is a very big hotbed with, yeah. and and younger guys are starting to like open up men's circles and men's retreats so this whole thing is like exploding right now and so that's the thing it's like this is the medicine the healing that the world needs at this point because we have so much especially with, with masculinity and all the stuff we're seeing with the Me Too stuff guys are starting to wake up women are starting to wake up things gotta change yeah. and so my vision is to help that's my my impact my legacy of trying to to better this world and and that's by helping other guys so my plan is to continue this is why i hired christina and my va and my facebook guy to um really start getting this message out there and and scale this scale this movement that way i can help more guys and then eventually i want to also hire i can't do everything myself right. so i'd like to hire other facilitators other coaches oh, cool. uh team up with other people like elliot holes or big yeah. big people like that because he's doing his own retreats grounding man and so it's a thing i want to hire a team where we can run these you know i'm doing three retreats a year but it's not sustainable and it took a lot out of me last year really yeah do, even those three because they're such big events they're such big events and because of the the space i'm holding and, and all the it's, it's very time energy wise like oh, to give each person yes. and so like i only have 24 hours a day and it's yeah. like if i'm doing the marketing plus the coaching and all that plus like like staying up all night at a ceremony and drinking medicine it's a lot i, I burnt myself out last year exactly so it's a lot so I really want to scale this, and I think the only way to do that is to continue building a team. Mm. And I would like to uh, not just run them in South America, but eventually 
have men's retreats, say like Japan or Thailand or Bali. Not medicine, but like still have men's retreats right. for like three to five days where guys who don't want to work with medicine can still like experience this stuff. stuff. Exactly. All these workshops, all the men's circle. This is why I started the men's circle yeah. to kind of get guys a flavor of what men's work is. And that's the thing. I want to change what men's work is. I want that to become more mainstream. Just like working at a gym, just like, you know, just like how guys work at a gym, I want men's circles to be like the norm where guys yeah. are not like, because if you say men's circle, men's work, guys are like, what is that? Like, yeah. like, like that's something for like, yeah. there's a lot of it, negative it, connotations. Right. And so that's why I'm trying to approach it and position it for, for like the average guy or make it more mainstream. That way guys get curious and then be like, oh, wow, I don't feel weird about going to this. It, it's actually normal to do it. Exactly. So that's the plan with that. And then um, men's work and then, and then the retreats, yeah, and just scale that globally. And eventually like the 20-year plan is to like have my own money and have buy own, my own land and, and buy my own retreat centers and then, oh, and then cool. have like donation base and have people who can't afford that's bring it in because dope. plant medicine <clears throat> and that's the thing too i really want to change that perception of plant medicine the psychedelics yes it, it's actually interesting i was talking to and i think you're right you're doing the right work at the right time because i think this is really some movement that's starting to um bubble up you know and i was talking to my a couple friends the other day they're a couple from philly mm -hmm. and they well, they'll experience with, with plant medicine or psychedelics and different things and sort of um, make sure they're in safe spaces. But then they were telling me about their experiences and these really interesting perspectives that they were able to have from it that it's different than, uh, I think, when people are seeking party drugs. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's like you're Definitely. kind of intentionally yeah. using mm -hmm. um, these tools to sort of unlock different parts of yeah. your mind and of yourself. You know, mm -hmm. it, my friend, you tell me, he's like, he ended up, they ended up just like holding each other for like eight hours and yeah. just like having this kind of like you said he was just felt sensitive in a way that he hadn't yeah. kind of this unlocked it. I was like oh that's really cool uh -huh. so if people are interested where can they find you how how do they if people wanted to go on one of these with you mm -hmm. kind of let people know you know mm -hmm. where you're at and, and how they could pull this off if they're interested short uh, <clears throat> I have a couple websites the first one definitely check out the uh, heroesjourneyexperience.com heroesjourneyexperience.com one word all three words combined together I just revamped that website I have all the retreat dates it looks good thank you brother <laughs> thank you <laughs> I love design June, July, August so we'll be in Ecuador and Peru the dates are there it's 12 days um, also check out my personal coaching uh, website Christopher W. Chu C-H-I-U dot com and you can learn more about me and my coaching style and also a little bit about the retreats as well um, Instagram Christopher W. Chu for my coaching and I'll link all this in the show notes cool. too so, so if, if people do want to go on something like this do they mm. reach out and say hey Chris I'm interested and then do they have to get like a consulting call do they buy a package online how does it kind of look yeah I do a consulting call so send me a DM I'll then send you the application because we cap it between 8 to 10 guys you know last year we had 6 guys max but I don't, we want this to be a very small intimate setting yeah. that way they get the care they need and you want to have the right people there too. exactly so that's the thing I pre-screen everybody make sure they're right fit because I really want this to be like it's not a party recreational thing yeah. it, it's very intentional what we're doing it's very sacred work that's what I'm trying to work on is being intentional I was even that's, that's my kind of my new word recently because I think that, that goes a long way yeah you know coming into this with a purpose mm -hmm. totally yeah, speaking you are a man of purpose <laughs> Chris thank you so much thank you brother thank you for the opportunity I appreciate it so y'all if you want to get in touch with this man fresh flying funky um, have a life changing experience it'll, it'll all be in the show notes you can reach out to him it's, it's been an absolute pleasure thank you brother thanks. thank you alright y'all thank you for listening catch you uh, next week